Welcome to the Movie Lab, the show where we talk about films and all things we love. I'm Michael, and normally we have Damien here, but he's been substituted out, and we have Paul. Welcome, Paul. Hey, guys. Okay, well, Paul, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We've both seen Captain Marvel recently. I spoke about this with Damien, actually, uh, on our last show, but I thought, given that you've actually seen the film and Damien hadn't, that we should talk about it a little bit in, in, in a spoilerish discussion, so don't hold back in terms of that. Um, I think we had a different opinion on it. I actually didn't really like the film that much. I, I thought it was fine. Like I didn't have any severe issues with it or anything like that. But um, I just thought that compared to the standard of Marvel films that we've got at the moment, like you think of um, Avengers or... Uh, I mean, I personally, I wasn't a big fan of Black Panther, but, um, but even that had its own... Both those films had their own tone and feel about them and... And uh, they were very unique in their own way. Uh, whereas I felt as if I felt that Captain Marvel was uh, a bit of a bland entry. It felt like one of the um, first gen Marvel films. I thought it was definitely better than uh, like Thor, The Incredible Hulk. That being said, I haven't seen Hulk in about ten years, but uh, better than Iron Man three. Some of the uh, lower entries, like it was a good mid tier entry. And I, you know, I think it was just kind of done to set up Captain Marvel's presence in Endgame. Uh, I know that they were shot pretty much back to back, or one straight after the other. Yeah, I'm not sure what their schedule is, but yeah, that would. Um, yeah, I don't know. I felt Brie Larson because I think of, I think of like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and you know Chris Hemsworth as Thor and they really own those roles and they make them unique and you feel like you can't just switch those out and replace them with another actor whereas Brie Larson to me didn't really bring anything to that role and I like Brie Larson she's actually really talented and if you've seen have you seen Room? I actually haven't seen much of her stuff oh okay well I I have to admit neither have I but in Room she's fantastic and I I think she's won some sort of award so you know she's obviously very talented she had a Best Supporting Actress Oscar Oscar okay nomination or she won I think she may have won I might need to fact check that okay you can do that yeah I and I found uh, the once again one of these Marvel films some of the biggest issues they have uh, are their villains and I uh, and you know as much as I really love Ben Mendelsohn I'd say uh, maybe my famous act, uh, my um, my favourite actor. Although I think he's been a little bit overused in the villain role recently. Uh, I, I found his character to be a little bland, and and you know, again, spoilers if you haven't seen it. But the Jude Law character turns out to be the real villain, or at least one of the real villains in the end. And and again, I, I just felt like I, <laughs> I I didn't really care much for for any of those characters. So you know, I mean, it's. I'm not writing off Captain Marvel. They could definitely that that's enough of a foundation to build a solid sequel on. But I just wasn't very taken by the film. Um, yeah, well, I've just checked here. Brie Larson actually won the 2016 Best Actress Oscar was that for Room. For Room. For Room. Yeah, she was very good in that. So I, she I beat really out Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Saoirse Ronan, Kate Blanchett, and Charlotte Rampling. Yeah. So that's quite a feat. They're all fantastic actresses. So yeah. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about the Marvel Universe just in general? Um, well, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I don't want to have to... Uh, not the word retcon, but there, there's definitely going to have to be time skips or something in order to accommodate uh, some of the things we know are happening post 
end game, uh, such as Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, there's, I mean, let's face it, uh, Black Panther got an Oscar nomination and it was, I mean, in my opinion, I really enjoyed Black Panther. It's one of my top Marvel films, personally, uh, or films from the MCU. So there's definitely going to be a sequel there. So, um, and both those characters, um, you know, carked it at the end of Infinity War. So which ones? Uh, Black Panther and Spider-Man. Oh, did they? Gosh, I don't even remember that. I've got to rewatch that before yeah, Endgame I, comes out. I watched it a couple of days ago, so it's fresh in my mind. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that again pretty soon, I think. Yeah, I loved I loved Infinity War. Yeah. I, I, I was very excited for it when it came out, and actually I think it probably exceeded my expectations. I'm not, I'm not huge on all these comic book movies, and in fact, in the past, not that anyone listens to this show, but in the past I've, <laughs> I have avoided talking about it, because uh, I've just I've just found that like just movie talk in general is just saturated with all these comic book you know whether it's Marvel or DC or whatever else it's just comic book stuff everywhere and um, and you know it's all good stuff I'm not complaining about it but it, it just I just feel like there's enough there's enough talk about it um, I can't remember where I was going with that what was I talking about oh the Marvel Universe yeah so um, but Infinity War um, actually was just I think. And it, again, I'm not a massive Marvel fan, although I'm pretty familiar with the universe. It, it just seemed like uh, pretty much all you could have wanted in a Marvel film, particularly a, a mashup Marvel film. Yeah. We've got a bunch of different characters coming from different um, different film series. It it just it had everything. It was really it was packed with action and good action as well. And Thanos was, a, I think, arguably the best villain in the Marvel universe. He has to be up there at least. Uh, I think, you know, Loki is probably another good contender as well. So, you know, there are a few good villains at this point. But but he needed to be a really good villain because the movie was about him, really. Yeah, and I like... What I particularly like about uh, Thanos is, you know, he's kind of... He always talks about people calling him a madman and he considers himself a rationalist. And what I really... What really resonates there is that Tony Stark is a rationalist. And so there's a really... You know, always the best villains aren't the stark opposite, uh, no pun intended, of the hero, but they actually incorporate um, some of the fundamental values of the hero. And so that's one of the things, you know, I mean, he's very sort of black and white, you know. The solution, you know, with his solution to having all the Infinity Stones is wipe out half the population of the entire universe to solve the overpopulation problem, not, for example, look at it from the other side of things, create more resources so that the, and, you know, more resources and more planets to accommodate the the overpopulation. I mean, he goes straight to just wiping out half of them. So, I mean, obviously he's insane, but you can tell that, uh, I mean, there's well, rationalisation there. Yeah, he had a real motive that you could understand, and that... That makes a good villain, and I think a lot of the... Well, I mean, in comics there are a lot of great villains, but I think in some of the past Marvel films we've seen some pretty bland villains, and um, and even when they have a good motive, there's sometimes... I mean, it's not just about the motive. They have to be, you know, uh, they have to look interesting and have cool powers and things like that, and I think Thanos kind of captured all of that, so I think he was a really good villain. Now, I want to talk about... We'll get off comic book movies now because I wanted to talk about another film that we watched recently that uh, we had a, a split opinion on, uh, VHS 2. Now, before you say anything, I saw, if you don't know anything about VHS, it's a 
found footage film. It's actually um, it's done in the style of a yeah found footage. So someone's got a like a VC. Uh, first, uh, yeah, uh, first person, first person view. Yeah, more generally, first person perspective. It's shaky cam, just like uh, Blair Witch. I think was one of the first of those to yeah, get it really was popular. The first, the first. Okay, there you go. And there have been a few since, like Cloverfield, Paranormal Activity. That was a really popular series. Um, VHS came out in two thousand and fourteen, I think, something like that. So fairly recently, and um, I think around about the time when Paranormal Activity was probably at its most popular yeah i think yeah it would have been a, a bit around then I yeah think. yeah yeah um and it's it's actually i think a really cool idea the there's a there's a main plot in, in the first one there's a main plot where these guys all have to are sent to this house to to look through these tapes they're looking for a particular tape and what they do is they keep putting in these tapes into a vcr player and the tape will play and then that tape will be what we as an audience watch and there's um and each tape has some scary found footage short film in it. So it's essentially five short films in one. Yeah, like and an while, an- anthology film. That's right, yeah. So while these films are going, there's also the um, overarching story with these guys inside the house and things happen there. And I won't spoil it, but that, that comes to an end as well. And the, the second film follows similar sort of um, uh, similar sort of tropes. So... Uh, these two people, a couple, or I assume they're a couple, uh, break into a house and they're they're going through these tapes, and it's four four films this time instead of five, and uh, yeah, and I you know of the four horror films, I look, I quite enjoyed the first one. I found the 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 first uh, the first VHS film. I mean, um, I, I I I quite enjoyed it, and the five. Five short films, and I thought probably three or four of them were quite good, and there was one I didn't like so much. So I liked it enough to see the sequel. And then, uh, so I watched the second one with you, Paul, and uh, I, I thought the second one was about at the same level as the first. It, it had a few more comedy elements than the first one did. And maybe I, I probably would prefer the first, I guess, in hindsight, but um, I, I quite enjoyed the second one. But you hated it. Yeah, see, I was I was outraged that Michael found it so tolerable, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I still don't really understand what you hated about it. Well, I mean, I remember... Like, I saw the first one when I was still in high school. I must have been year 11, maybe year 12. And so... And I remember thinking it was all right. I remember thinking there were some all right ideas that went on. But the thing... With the whole premise, which is quite unfortunate, is the the found footage trope. I mean, the reason the Blair Witch Project was so popular in the first place was because that it had that air of realism. I mean, people thought that it was real. Yeah. Like, there was, I mean, speculation for a very long time that that was a real thing. And it kind of broke the mould after that, you know, every other found footage film you knew was in the wake of Blair Witch Project. And I have found very few have ever actually stood up. And I think, especially now, I mean, that film is relatively recent, only five years old or so. What, VHS? VHS yep. and uh, coming about 10 or 15 years after the Blair Witch Project. I mean... Even the Cloverfield franchise, which started off as a found footage sort of film, has kind of abandoned that okay. style. And I feel like it 
really got old quickly, especially if, like, considering as an anthology film, you have the opportunity to have differing styles and I felt the first-person point of view... I mean, it didn't make me nauseous like it does with some people, but I felt that that really got old quickly. Are you talking about just VHS in general? or VHS in general, um, but also the found footage sort of... Yeah, genre of horror has kind of run its course, I think. You know, I mean, one thing that the VHS films did which I actually didn't mind so much was the the second segment was about a, a cyclist who had a GoPro camera on his helmet who finds himself in the middle of a zombie outbreak. Yeah. And so you see the zombie from the first person point of view. Yeah, so he becomes a zombie and we see him running around with other zombies and then they attack a like a family gathering or yeah, something. Yeah, like a kid's birthday party in yeah. a national park. <laughs> yeah. No, that was good, actually. That's um, what I mean. There was a lot more humour in this one. But the first one, actually, that was quite... Uh, it was actually really violent. There were some really, actually, quite full-on scenes. I don't know if you remember too much about the first one. I can't... All I can remember is liking... Like, kind of liking it. I don't quite remember why or what it was. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's why I was, you know, ready to watch the second one. Yeah. Yeah, there was one. Yeah, so I like the zombie one. There was another one involving some. Uh, I, I never really quite understood what they were. It was some sort of religious Satanist cult. Yeah, that one went for very long. That was actually that was the longest one. I'm not sure exactly what the runtime was, but it was a lot longer than the other three. Yeah, and it's probably why it was the four short films instead of five in the previous because of the runtime of this one. Um, I don't know that one. I've been online since watching it. That seems to be the favorite one yeah. for most people. And for me, I found it quite... I mean, I found them all ultimately quite irritating because they really felt like they didn't fit within the structure of a short film. Then I I felt that they really kind of tried to cram more exposition than they could fit. They tried to create more character than they could fit. And especially with short uh, short fictions or short film, uh, you know, the characters, they don't necessarily need to be archetype, but they need to be um, reined in a bit so that it doesn't over, you know, take over the story or the it can't serve the story. And I felt that they tried to fit in all these complicated character arcs in that one, which given the first-person point of view, became very confusing. So, the the Satanist one, the, the was it the third segment? I think it was the third. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It entailed, um, like, a documentary um, crew of about four people. Yep. And so, they're infiltrating this sort of um, cult... And one of them excuses herself um, when intro- uh, interviewing the main leader. And you assume... You know that she has this little camera on her, like a spy camera. Blouse. yeah. And you assume she's going... She's. You think she's sick. She pretends... Or we think she pretends to, to, be, about sick. to be sick. And so she excuses herself, looks around, but then it turns out she's pregnant. And I didn't really picked this up but she was a, the partner of one of the crew uh the doc, the filmmakers 
but she's pregnant with one of the other filmmakers. Yeah, so she's cheated on him. So she's cheated on him. And the the issue that I have with this is that you you don't really know who's who because of the first person perspective. Yeah. You and it, it changes. So you get to look at everyone, but you, you lose track of who's who. I mean, there's not that much time to establish it. Yeah. That feels like a very complicated arc to try and fit in with this grand story of this Satanist cult. Yeah. And then later as it transpires, the fact that she's pregnant, um, she later gives birth to this kind of minotaur demon thing. Yeah. Which is what, I mean, their whole ritual kind of brings about and that just raises so many questions i couldn't suspend my disbelief i mean i look i'm always willing for bloody births of demons tearing through so you like bodies gore. yeah look you know i mean it's it's a it's a part of the the genre yeah um you know the revulsion of it but i just felt having to set her up as pregnant in order for that to happen i felt was unnecessary i felt they could have just implanted that in her or something that you know, some kind of ritual could have just brought that. You should, could have just travelled through her and split her apart if that was their wish. The complicated character arc, the fact that she was pregnant with some other dude's child, overcomplicated things. Yeah, it made it. Yeah, just kind of. It was too much in. Too much. Too it, much crammed into it. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like the problem you, you sort of had uh, was that because I I think. After watching the first one, because the, the the five short films are all pretty intense, and uh, a lot happens at once, like in the in the second one, and I think maybe one of the issues I I could see some people having is that not a lot is explained, and there's not a whole lot of exposition for 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 what happens or, or context around it. It's it's all a bit random. Um, so, for example, in the in the well, even the zombie one, for example, or, or you or you liked that one, didn't you? Oh well, it was to me. It was my favorite if I had to pick one. But I wasn't. It, there were like there were issues with it that I think killed it for me. Yeah. Um. That we can get into, but um. Well, for example, I felt that it broke the rules that it set up. Of the, so, the character characterization wasn't so so important in that one. It was more expository, which is. You know, it's you know they're zombies. You don't need much character. It's but the the opening shot is this guy setting up his GoPro cam, and he gets a phone call from his girlfriend, and it's a bit it's un, a bit unnecessarily raunchy. I think this she, is the, the the bicycle the cyclist zombie. Yeah, the zombie one. Yeah, and um, yeah, I felt it was a bit un. There was yeah, there was some kind of yuck joke that didn't really have to be in there. Um, I can't even remember what you're talking. Oh, about. It was about riding a bike. And riding, oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Um, and then, you know, pretty soon after, he finds this woman who's in a bit of a state, and then she quickly turns and bites him. Yeah, he quickly becomes a zombie. Other cyclists stumble upon him. He bites them, and from this point, you know, pretty much character ceases because it's zombie. Mm. Which I mean, it's that. I mean, what found footage films come down to is the sort of voyeuristic thing. And it, it, this is kind of interesting because you see him chow down on one of those cyclists that came to help him. Mm. The other cyclist becomes a zombie. And they're both eating eating this dude. And then he kind of sits up with this goofy look on his face and they just kind of all like walk off together. And it was a bit... 
I'm not sure if it was supposed to be funny. I I think it was. I think it was supposed to be funny, particularly when they start um, like just gorging at that one guy, that dead guy's stomach, and they're eating all of his intestines and everything like that. I thought that was supposed to be funny, and the way um, he was walking around with that what was like a an axe or like a like a skewer or something in his eye. Oh yeah, like the 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 barbecue tongs from when they they crashed the. uh, when the they crashed the party. party. Yeah, I thought there were a lot of elements of humour in that one. Um, See, the thing with me is that they were definitely going for the gross-out kind of humour, and I just didn't feel that it came across as they intended. Yeah. I what, felt I was laughing at it, not with it. Yeah. Well, okay, well, what about the first one? Because you seem to have, to me, you seem to have the most issues with the very first one. So in, in the first short film in VHS2... Um, a guy gets an eye implant that, that has a camera and uh, he goes home and, and he starts seeing ghosts or some, something to that effect now that he has this eye implant, um, which obviously wasn't intended. Um, and you really hated that one. I feel like what I have to say about this one outlines all the issues that the other ones had. Yeah. And that was... So this... Eye implant, you know, it could have been something out of Black Mirror or something. In fact, something similar to a Black Mirror episode yeah. resonates with that one. But this, apart from just being a bog-standard bionic eye, I mean, it's part of a clinical trial, and so the the people that uh, implanted that can see everything he sees. He takes objection to the fact that they're going to see him do stuff, yeah. private stuff, which is fair enough, but... Uh, one of the unexpected side effects is that he can now see ghosts through that eye. Yeah. Anyway, so this whole thing, it has weird underdeveloped characters. It goes straight to what I feel is the just cheap cheapness out of the horror. It doesn't necessarily build terror and and then you get the payoff with the... You know, it just kind of jumps to the jump scares, really. So it's almost like it cuts out the second act? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and, you know, like, there's that first few minutes of exposition. It sets up. He's got a bionic eye. He had some sort of surgery. He had some... Yeah, he wakes up in the doctor's practice. Yeah. Well, apparently, and, you know, I mean, I know it's a horror film, but I always find it weird melding sci-fi elements with horror being... You know, the supernatural horror being picked up by real-world technology. I don't know, maybe that's just something that... That's just me. That's very particular, yeah. But, this, yeah, this bionic eye sees ghosts. So, he's at home. He notices... Like, straight up, he notices he, some things... Are, like, his kettle, kettle falls off the stove. And then this... You know, he sees this um, shape in his bed sheets. Yeah. That looks like a person. He pulls it back. Jump scare. No one's there. Oh, it's not not the jump scare yet. Just no one's there. He turns around, and then this guy in really bad makeup. Yeah, okay, to be I mean, the makeup was awful. Like the first time you turn around and you see that uh, that dead ghost or whatever he was, I did think it looked it, it did look a bit cheap. It, it looked yeah. kind of like a it kind of looked like a um, like a Halloween costume. Or yeah, something I like was that. thinking like of a like, bad one. Yeah, yeah, and so you'd think. With something that was going to rely on, you know, probably the lower tier of horror 
and be and try, go for that weird, disgusting, gross out. It really missed the mark. Like it did not look scary. It clearly looked like a guy in bad makeup. No, like not even prosthetics. Like drawn on scars and yeah, whatnot. If you like jump scares, he runs around a bit, and then this girl rocks up, and so you see that. And this is somewhere where you really have to like suspend your disbelief because the bionic eye looks kind of like cloudy or milky slightly. Okay. As he's walking out of the doctor's practice, this girl just stares him down and then later that night just shows up at his house and he's and she's just she knows that you that he sees ghosts. Yeah. So now you so this woman shows up with the express purpose all the storytelling cues say that she's going to offer some exposition. Yeah. So she comes in, she says, "I know how to defeat not, not defeat them, but deal with it." Yeah. She says that she was deaf and she has cochlear implants and, you know, I mean, like, not everyone has a bionic eye, but heaps of people have cochlear implants and that she can hear zombies and uh, ghosts and she knows how to, how to deal with it. Anyway, so it's almost... She basically tells him he has to ignore them. She tells him, like, just pretend they're not there, that sort of thing, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but he doesn't really listen to her, though. And, well, and she, she dies not too long after he Yeah, but the her. thing is, like, she starts telling him, and this, is, this, this, I think, was very cheap on behalf of, the, of everyone involved. Um, but she starts telling him, he sees a ghost, and then she says, oh, that's my uncle, he's not a very nice person. And then kind of, she seems to have all the answers... All of a sudden, it goes wrong. Like, she doesn't tell him what to do. Mm. She doesn't tell him... She doesn't tell him anything. She seems to panic, and they start having sex. Yeah. Straight away. And, you know, forget the fact that this person's a stranger. Whatever. They just start having sex. It's pretty gratuitous. Yeah. You know, there's nudity. There's this. And then he wakes up, and she's asleep. And so, you don't actually get any exposition from her. Yeah. Her purpose is there... for them to have sex, then and like provide, or you you get a tiny bit of exposition, not much, but a little bit. Oh, I, basically I, that that the the bionic tech enhancements or whatever pick up ghosts, but then she yeah she dies, um, she gets pulled underwater and drowned, and he can't save her, and then the ghosts kind of gang up on him. Eventually, he just cuts out his own eye with a razor blade and. You know, I, presumably I, dies. I don't know if I can articulate this, but I can sort of see what's um, what's annoying about. Like, I, I can see why it would come across as annoying because, okay, so we've got this female character who's there clearly, not really to provide any exposition, but really so that we can get nudity and we can see someone else die. Really, that's her only purpose in the film. I don't think that makes it too different from many other horror films, but it, it, it is kind of poorly written. And yeah, it's, the, it's really obviously the like, exposition isn't. Exposed, you know, it's not, yeah. and and so the, you know, in terms of moving the story along, maybe, but to actually add to the story or to have any real kind of narrative purpose, it's it just misses the mark. So you just wanted a little bit more explanation behind all of these these horror stories. I wanted more purpose. I mean, yeah. like I said before, you can't have all exposition and no character development, or because you have to. I mean, with any fiction, you have to strike a balance, but with Short fiction, uh, particularly, you you do. And she didn't do either of those things. It seemed like her sole purpose was to 
maybe get killed, but also to take a top off. It just it made me feel cheap watching it, to be honest. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I kind of get what you mean, but I sort of saw the film as not just that one, but the whole series really. It's kind of like uh, horror movie junk food where we've got these... Um, you're right, most of the characters in it are pretty detestable and a lot of the scares... But are you uh, saying the characters or like... Like the whole thing. Like, yeah. okay, so like there's gratuitous nudity and violence and um, the the plots aren't really explained. There's a lot of WTF moments and and a lot of gore and it, it just sort of throws it all at you at once. And, and I actually, I, I don't know, personally, I didn't mind it. Like I, I knew what I was getting into based on the first one and I guess I kind of enjoyed it, to be honest. I enjoyed that just the... You know, sometimes I just want to watch a bit of trash and, and this is... This was yeah, it for me. Like and I get that though, but I mean, a whole look, a whole film of maybe that 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 first story with the eye implant, or even the zombie one. I, I don't think I could really sit through all of that, but just in these little short formats, I was okay with it. And I, I, I you know, I was, I, I liked seeing where it went, and uh, it was it was fun, sort of moving from film to film to film, and you get a new little story. And I don't think any of them would survive on their own as horror films, but. But just um, as they were, I I was okay with it. You see, I get what you mean, but I mean, you know, I'm one who enjoys the more psychological horror films like uh, Hereditary and all that sort of thing. And then I do like the more sort of haunted house. Yeah, I love you know, um, more like the sort of what you say, like the junk food. But it that, those I like to think of those more as, as like you know, ghost trains where you kind of get in and you just kind of you have the jump scares that come out and you kind of know the kind of trajectory of the story you know the track and this just felt like a really lame ghost train mm. you know like all the animatronics were like lame and busted and they kind of just kind of jolted out rather than like scaring you you looked at it and you thought that looks like that looks awful and you know it just you know the the production value was low. The writing was laughably bad. I mean, Meryl Streep couldn't have pulled it off. I think I said that while we were watching it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I just I just didn't think it was a good, even a good bad horror film. It was a bad bad horror film. Yeah, and that's all I have to say about that. Fair enough. Well, let's move on because we've talked about that for longer than I thought we would. Um, I wanted to talk about Goosebumps. I talked to you ages ago about doing a podcast on just dedicated to Goosebumps. Uh, not a series, but just an episode where we talk about Goosebumps. Um, but we're talking about, of course, about IRL Stein's book series. Now, uh, this is a little random bringing this up in the middle of all of this, but uh, I read the books, I uh, watched the show, and I even listened to the audio tapes. So... I think recently, well, not so recently now, we went through and watched a lot of the old Goosebumps episodes. Um, how many are there? They were on Netflix. And a, I, they've been taken seasons, down recently. A few specials, like a, a few of them were like two episode long, like double episode, two parters. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, I haven't seen the new movies with is Jack Black. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that. Uh, there's two of them now, and I, I haven't seen either of them. Well, they're not. So much based on the books. They have characters from the books, but um, that that's a story of its. It's kind of like a Jumanji sort of thing, isn't it? Um, where all these characters are coming to life that that were in a in a book. Uh, I think that Jack Black coming out. plays R.L. Stein. Is that the? Yeah, yeah, something that like the premise? that. Premise. I haven't seen that, so I can't say too much yeah. about that. But I, I I remember I used to love 
the Goosebumps books. Oh, me too. And, I mean, having said what I just said about VHS 2, I mean, for me, nostalgia, uh, Goosebumps has a nostalgia factor, um, you know, because I read it as a, as a kid and... I mean, I I still think that they stand up as, you know, decent little scary stories. The books, I mean, I, I feel like this is the case. I mean, often books translate differently to film, yeah. particularly in this genre. I mean, I mean you, can't, you don't have the soundtrack, you don't have the loud music, the being almost forced to watch a character do something that you know is going to, you know, there's the cues that it's going to be a jump scare. I mean, there's no jump scares in literature, but I really enjoyed reading the books. They're always creepy and weird and... Yeah. Did you have any favourites? I loved the Horrorland one. I think that was a favourite for a was lot that of called people. Welcome to Horrorland or something? Oh. something. There were about? a few... It was the one where the family are on a road trip. They're kind of driving in the middle of nowhere. They're lost... And then they they're going to, they're going to some like fun park like Disney World type thing, and then they end up being sidetracked into this other. They just settle with this other amusement park that kind of comes out of nowhere called Horrorland, and it's just weird. And all the rides seem a bit dangerous. And as it turns out, the the purpose is in fact to kill them, and they have to escape. And okay. I can't remember the full premise, but they're always a bit goofy. Yeah, um, but. One of the things I really I thought was funny was that in the the book R.L. Stein says that the the horrors who are the the people or the the creatures of Horrorland look so realistic. They say you know when the kids and the family like they're having a ball at first because they think it's just really realistic. They don't realize that it's real that these are real monsters. Yeah, and they they talk about how the they're they're joking that the masks and the makeup and that look so real, unbeknownst to them, they're real monsters. I remember watching the TV. Oh, that's right. The TV, the the, um, the TV episode movie, and it was. I mean, the masks. I mean, it was clearly masks. But the thing is, you could see the bit of skin around the eyes, and it was like that scene in uh, Batman where he takes off the cowl, and for one shot, he doesn't have. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have the black eye makeup, and it just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's really jarring. Yeah, yeah. No, I I do remember. Well, that was one of the charms of the show, though. It was just so cheap, you know. Like, and and. And, oh, gosh, like, I remember uh, that one, some of the special effects were just awful. And it had, apart from like, the, I mean, the sound effects and the, the music in the series was really goofy 90s music. But l- let's just talk about the main theme for a second and the way each episode started. Because it was that... Um, talk about the intro. Yeah, like that main, where you follow, like, the... Creepy G going around the town. Well, first the- there's that weird guy. Or I assume it's supposed to be R.L. Stein, and he's walking oh. with the briefcase on top of the hill, and the briefcase falls open, all the papers fly everywhere, and these yeah. are what Goosebumps stories. Yeah, I and think it's- so. And then, and then you see the the shadow of the the Goosebumps G like flying around, and then it goes past plants, and the plants go all yeah. like they start dying. And, there's- and then, and there's that <laughs> awful one where it goes past the dog. Yeah, and, and the then- music goes. It like, starts like. <laughs> <laughs> And then the dog's like eyes turn um, yellow and like kind of cat-like. Yeah. But it's just such a bad effect. You can see someone's just like 
like Photoshop them on almost yeah. like, over the top of the dog's real eyes. And, there's, and it goes past a billboard with like, you know, this beautiful model. And as it goes past, she turns into this old disgusting witch. And yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, just that, I, that really creeped me out as a kid. Really? And the music is still really creepy. Like uh, It is a little. I would, like, I think the music is really cool. And then each one... Almost, um, at least the specials did. I, I can't remember if it was each one, but it would start off with an introduction by R.L. Stein. Always be the same thing, like, "Hello, I'm R.L. Stein, and I write the Goosebumps books." And then you'd go into a brief synopsis, and I just remember that being really creepy. And I, like, I don't want to, like, I, I've got mad respect for R.L. Stein. You know, he's yeah, I like R.L. Stein. Probably one of my favorite childhood authors. You know, I mean, up there with like Ryle Dahl and Dave Pilkey and all that sort of stuff. What Dave Pilkey wrote? Captain Underpants. <laughs> oh, okay. You were too old for that, even when... Okay, yep, go. Okay. <laughs> I was in, like, grade two when I started reading those. Okay, fair I enough. I just didn't stop. And, oh, Andy <laughs> Griffiths, The Day My Bum Went Psycho and all that. Oh. Yeah, anyway, any yeah, you know, but he, the R.L. Stein introductions to that, like, he's just... He gives off this really creepy vibe and then, it you know, it starts and it's just super camp and it's got all these... Well, they're fun. They're, oh, yeah, they're super fun. And, you know, and it is for kids. And, I mean, I still enjoy them. I'm not sure if it's just the nostalgia factor. I mean, I certainly don't find them scary. I think, but I don't think it is because a lot of those episodes I never saw when I was a kid. And I still enjoy watching them now. Yeah, but I know a lot of the stories. And, you know, I mean, like Ryan Gosling's in one. Yeah, he Hayden is. Christensen's in one. Yeah, yeah. He's in one of the, <laughs> the, the Night of the Living Dummies. Is it part two? Oh, I can't remember exactly. There were how many were there? Like three? Yeah, a few. They were some of the best ones. I was yeah, thought. yeah. Slappy, Slappy the dummy. Yeah. Except he looked nothing like the dummy on the on cover. the cover. Yeah, the cover looked more like a Nutcracker sort of thing. Yeah, it looked a lot more sinister. It did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Slappy in this one had like red hair. Yeah, like and like orangey hair and yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then you watching it. I mean. When when I was a kid, I was like, "That's a, that dummy's really come to life." And then I think I think they employed a lot of little people in the Goosebumps franchises. Yeah, well, um, they definitely did for Slappy. There was one uh, Attack of the Garden Gnomes where oh the, the lawn gnomes, yeah, yeah. I oh you know, um, did you ever listen to any of the audio books? No, I didn't. Okay, well. They're worth listening to. Just they're all on YouTube. I, I think they're still on YouTube, and they're really good. They're not like your average audio book. They're actually like little radio plays. So the stories actually, they, it, no one's reading the book. It's the same story, but you have these radio plays. So there's different voice actors for different characters, and there's um, like sound effects and and background music, and they're actually really really good. And they're just they just like the books and the show. They're really cheesy, but um, but they're really fun and. I, I do remember though. I, I had about four of them. I had the lawn, Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. That was my favourite. Um, a Shocker on Shock Street, which was not so good. Um, a Night in Terror Tower, which was pretty good. I think that was one of the more popular Goosebumps stories. A Night in Terror yeah. Tower and uh, the Mask. No, Attack of the Mutant. That was a, that was a good one too. So those were all good. But then we're on. Oh, I had Deep Trouble. That was good too. But then there were a bunch of others that I never owned when I was a kid, and I listened back to on YouTube. And I think I got lucky with the ones that I had because these these other ones are shocking. Like some of them, like the the main character is a boy, but it's obvious, like very very obviously being played by a girl who's putting on a very bad pretend boy voice. And it's just so off-putting. I, I really couldn't get very far into it. And like, what the hell's going on there? Like they, like, they couldn't find a male actor to play a male. 
I don't know. It, that that yeah, check it out. I maybe maybe you, you'll if you accidentally stumble across that one, you'll know. But anyone who well, no one listens to this show. But if anyone did, I would encourage you. I'm encouraging you, Paul, to 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 listen to maybe listen to it on the way home. Um, one of the, the Goosebumps audio tapes, like they're actually pretty good. Like the the Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes one was my favourite. Like I really enjoyed yeah. that. I, the the TV episode of that was pretty forgettable. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, what, what, there was one episode which I was really impressed um, by. I mean, not uh, just the the it had a little twist at the end, and I remember. I think we both thought it was kind of clever. Well, I can't remember what it was called. Is this the one with the the monst- monsters? Yeah, the monster in the library. Yeah, and he keeps eating all the bugs. Yeah, so there's these two kids, and then they 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 think that the new librarian is a monster, so they yeah. come home to mum and dad. Well, they know he's a monster. They see him turn into a monster. Yeah, yeah. They and they're like, mum, mum and dad, he's a monster. He's a monster, and they're like, no, he's not a monster. They, you know, is that typical like parents not believing the kids? Yep. Sort of story arc, and that kind of goes on. They get more and more evidence, and their their parents are just like, "No, look, we're sure he like we're sure he's not a monster." Yeah. So they end up inviting him over for dinner. Yeah, that's right. They invite him over for dinner, and then uh, they they find out he's a monster. No, it turns out there's a bit of a twist at the end where they they. The parents did believe the kids, although they didn't let the kids in on it. Yeah, and then it's revealed that's right. that the parents are also monsters and they uh, eat the, the teacher or the yeah. librarian or whatever. And he because was. there can only be one monster in this town. Yeah. So actually, the whole family are monsters. Yeah, they're all monsters, including so, the kid. Yeah, and, and that, I just, I really like that because the, I mean, the audience isn't in on the joke, but yeah. the, the kids are concerned, not because. He's a monster and gonna eat kids, but because they can be the only monsters in this. Yeah, and then town. their friend, the kid across the street, comes over and he sees them all, and um, and he's like, "Hey, what's for dinner, guys?" Oh yeah, and then the dad turns around, he's like, "You like pie?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, you know what? I, I yeah, I that I, I like that. Yeah, that, that was that awesome. was a that was a classic. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, enough goosebumps. Now, um, Paul, I wanted you to read out your watch list. You've got a films watch list. Yeah, you can get it. You've got time. Um, we've got because I've I've been slowly plowing through my watch list with Damien, and um, I've got well, I'm still I'm still going through my watch list with Damien for the films I want to see for the the remainder of the year. But I've also got my own separate watch list of films that that I haven't gotten around to that I've. Um, just for whatever reason, haven't been able to see, but but I'm interested in seeing. I think I've got about 19 left, but I've already read it out. I read out a couple of episodes ago, and I thought it'd be a good opportunity to 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 speak about a couple of new films or or older ones that people should be watching. And managed to bring that up there, Paul. I must admit, I completely forgot to get a, a watch list together. So I'm oh, I thought you already to... had one. I had. Like the list on Netflix of things that are on Netflix to watch, but as I uh, outlined the other day, most of the ones that I'd selected are now not on there on Netflix anymore. I never got round to watching them, and uh, I ha- I seem to have just kind of someone had said something was good, so I put it on my my list on Netflix, and I have no intention of watching it. Um, it's probably been there for five years or so. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to the next thing then. Jeez, got to get your act together before Watch you come well, on Well, I've got my little IMDb app up here, so maybe there is 
something. Oh, look, there's 38 titles in my. Uh, All right, Debbie we'll just, just go through them quickly. And we'll, we'll... Uh. Now, this is quite old. Yeah, okay. That's all right. <laughs> Step Brothers. <laughs> Step Brothers. Have you seen it since? Uh, yes. Yeah, pretty good film. Um, I like the cover. I think it's got one of the funniest covers, uh, as in um, tie, uh, posters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like I liked Step Brothers. Yeah, Step Brothers was pretty funny. Um, the best. Have you uh, seen? Sorry, for old John C. Riley. Yeah, the most recent one was um, Holmes and Watson. And I just, look another Sherlock Holmes thing hadn't like didn't need to be made. You had Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch, which yeah, is but awesome. This one, Holmes and Watson, was a purely a comedy, wasn't it? Yeah, but I feel like the uh, Robert I, uh, Downey Jr. Jude Law one had elements of comedy. Yeah, but that was that was more of an action film. God, I don't remember those films at all. I have I, I seen at least only one of them. Two. Yeah, yeah, and, they're and, Guy um, Ritchie, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I quite like those. I think they're quite good. Holmes. So you got. I remember that. Funnily enough, harkening back to uh, Marvel, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Robert Downey Jr., Doctor Strange and uh, Iron Man, respectively. Both played Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and the new Captain Marvel has Jude Law, who was. Tony, uh, who is uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Watson. Yeah. Um, yeah, just... Oh, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Watson, uh, Martin Freeman, was in the uh, Amer- uh, Captain America's Civil War and Black Panther. Um, what, a Sherlock Holmes character was in... No, no, as in Martin Freeman was in those films and he was the Watson to Benedict Cumberbatch's Oh, yes, that guy. Yeah. He was in Fargo as well, the TV series. Yeah. The first series. That's a good show. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so... And you've got the the American uh, elementary show. So popular culture is already... Yeah, but Holmes and Watson apparently was, was awful. Yeah, it's just it oversaturated with Sherlock Holmes. I think, and I think it's got less. I'm sure it's got less than 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. To be yeah. honest, I think it, it might be a bit unfair that we're panning it so hard having never seen it, but I never had any intention of seeing it. I just thought, we don't need another Sherlock Holmes. It's never going to be good, and that kind of turned out to be true. Yeah, it's got oh, 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Yeah, next one. Uh, Inception. Like oh, I said, yeah. this, this list must be like 10 years old. I've seen that. I, I thought, thought it was, it was a bit right. overrated. I think yeah. It says here I gave it six stars out of 10. Would you still uh, give it that? I have no idea. I haven't seen it. And obviously my... You haven't seen it? No, I have seen it. I haven't seen it in age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, no, I haven't seen it in quite a long time. Yeah, next one. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. Oh, geez, this is a really old list. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, I love that film. Gave that a seven. Okay. I might. I might... Reconsider that. I haven't seen it That's in a while. That's my favourite in the series. Yeah. All right, keep going. Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah, great film. Gave that a 10. Yep, I stand by that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Rocky Five. Rocky Five, the worst in the series, but uh, not terrible. It's Still probably the it. only Rocky that departs from the Rocky formula. Yeah. Um, which is not a good idea for Rocky films, and they've never deviated from it since. Yeah. In fact, I've like I can see here I've got the rest of the Rocky films. Yeah. Um, neither of the creeds that just because it's an old list. I've seen the first creed. I didn't get around to seeing the second, but I like it. Second one's very good. I have every intention to, but I heard that uh, Sylvester Stallone is is stepping back, and if there's another creed film, it, I, it won't have the character Rocky in it. 
I think. Yeah, I think uh, after having seen Creed two, I think they should stop there. I don't think there's much more. There to should say be another for Creed? that character. Not for that character. I don't know. Maybe d- they can no have another more Adonis one. Creed. No. Right. Okay. No, um, I think he's done. Uh, it was two really good films. I don't need a third. Fair enough. I, I can't. Mean, I don't know what they would think up for a well, third. Well, I think from what I've I've read is that they wouldn't just have him be fighting the sons of his father's opponents. Yeah. I mean, the, the I, I like the fact that they have Ivan Drago's son in Creed yeah. 2. Um, I thought I, there was a part in the first Creed where I thought that uh, Rocky might die. Yeah. And as much as I love the character Rocky and and that, I thought that may have been a good thing to do story-wise. To but kill off Rocky. To kill off Rocky and, um, you know, just give Adonis something more to fight for. But I, I don't know, maybe I haven't seen the second one, but yeah. All right, next one on your list. Next one on my list. Uh, so we've got the Rocky films. we got uh, First Blood, which is another Sylvester Stallone film I yeah. have seen. Uh, apparently it's based on a book, which I'd like to read. Um I haven't seen any of those Rambo movies. No? No. Well, the first one's based on a book. Okay. And then the second, third, fourth, and I think there's going to be a fifth. Oh, really? I heard there was going to be one where he fights aliens. Oh, that sounds possibly. made up, though. Yeah. See, the the first, the, like the book on which it was based, I can't remember the name. I think it may have just been First Blood, uh, was about that sort of post-Vietnam War disdain for the the veterans you know i mean there's there's so much uh media on the on the vietnam war and basically the world in which this is set is that america is not comfortable with the bloodshed on its hands from the vietnam war it doesn't have the same sort of uh reverence and appreciation for its veterans which i think is still an ongoing issue and so uh, John Rambo, who was a uh, prisoner of war, shell shocked, is as a drifter, can't find work, and he's just passing from town to town, and he takes objection to this one uh, sheriff who's who's very adamant that he he not goes there, and it just it you know it just sets him off and starts this sort of rampage. The second and third uh, movies, uh, you know, he comes out of he ends up in. Uh, spoiler alert! Do, do you do you mind? No, you can go. He ends up in prison at the end of the first one. Um, I know in the book, uh, I, I believe in the book he commits suicide at the end. It's pretty okay. dark. Doesn't really leave it open to sequels, but there are sequels, and the title I think is convolu- as convoluted as storylines. I mean, the second one's called Rambo: First Blood Part Two. The third one's called Rambo Three. The fourth one is called Rambo. Rambo. Because they haven't done that yet, even though I think a lot of people refer to First Blood as Rambo. Yeah. I don't know what the new one's going to be called, but it's just it's the thing. You know, like when they did Rambo what, 10 or 12 years ago. Well, I don't know. It was a while um, ago. It was, it was yeah. long enough time had passed that I think people were happy with the conclusion that the series had come to. That didn't do much. I don't know why they're dredging it up a second time. I feel like they're doing that a bit with Terminator. Oh, yeah, there's another one coming out at the end of the year. Yeah, Genesis didn't do so well. Terminator Salvation, I haven't seen that. I think I watched that on a plane about 10 years ago and it was already old then. Uh, you know, it's just that thing. It's just That's what a series doing. that needs to die. 
Yeah, look. So does Alien, actually. You think? Yeah, yeah. I was, I, I was so excited for Alien Covenant, and then when it, when I after seeing it, I was like, man, this has really run its race. Like, there's nothing new anymore. They're just recycling yeah. the old stuff they did. I think that comes down to a lot of studio interference because I love the Alien franchise. I mean, I can watch them all. I liked Prometheus. I don't didn't mind. I love Covenant. Prometheus. Yeah, Prometheus is my favorite in in the in that of the whole bunch. To be honest, that's one of my favorite sci-fi films. Look, I agree with that, but in terms of Alien, I mean, I love the first one because I lo- I just love the character Ripley, and that's really her genesis. Yeah, it goes down. It comes down to a lot of what I enjoy in horror films. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyway, I, w- I feel like we could talk about that for ages. Okay, next one on the list. Once upon a time in the West, classic western. I started watching a few of those recently. Um, very I feel American. Yeah, they they become a bit dated. Um, but I mean, I, I've enjoyed the the few westerns uh, that I've seen recently. I, I know Bone Tomahawk is on your watch list. That's yep. a, a horror western. It's very good. Would yep. definitely recommend. Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's on my watch list, so I'll get around to it. Another western I watched recently was Three Ten to Yuma. Yep. Oh, mind blowing! Just. Fantastic story. Okay. Great. Is that on Netflix? I'm not sure. I think it might be. Um, great music as well. Really harkens back to the, the year when the Western was, you know, the king of Hollywood. Yep. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't mind a Western. All right. Next well, is Science of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Great film. Haven't seen that. Really? You have not seen Science no, of the Lambs? No, it's just one of those ones. I mean, it's on the watch list. It's Jeez, uh, get, get around to that. To That's a good film. Very much worth seeing. The the next one is Seven. Is seven? that the one with Kevin Spacey? Yeah, that's the David Fincher film. Yeah, no, I have seen that. That was very good. Yeah, that was awesome. I love David Fincher. Yeah, next yeah. one. Um, seven Samurai. Oh, I haven't seen that. That's an old film, isn't yeah, it? That's, yeah, um, that's a uh, Akira Kurosawa Japanese film. And that's, that's interesting because that was heavily influenced by um, the early 20th century Western films, which in it, in and of themselves, were influenced by the samurai films out of Japan, and Seven Samurai itself uh, inspired uh, the Magnificent Seven. Um, so it's just this cross pollination between the American West and Japanese, you know, medieval samurai dramas, um, which also, in a in a massive way, influenced Star Wars. And I, I think a lot of people consider that more more of a Western than a sci fi, uh, thematically. Gosh. Uh, Oh, we can get into that at a later date. Okay. So we got is the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, another Western. Um, Schindler's List. Oh, yeah, that's on my watch list too. I, I think I have seen that. I maybe saw it at school once. Yeah, I know I started watching it at school. And I that's all I know. But I, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I, I, sh- I, yeah, I want to see that again. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Gosh, oh. have you not seen that? No, I have. I mean, look, like I said, this is a really old list. Hey, look, 12 Years a Slave is on here. <laughs> Funnily enough, some some things I have seen since uh, coming up with this. Um, the Revenant, that's another... That's The Revenant, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's we a, did a review on that. Did we? No, not you and I. Oh. Um, Damien and I did a review on that a well, after it came out, that was one of our first episodes. It might have been our very first episode, actually. Yeah, actually, now you come to... Yeah. I remember just... I don't know if this is a brag. It's an interesting thing. I saw The Revenant 
and The Hateful Eight on the same day. Yeah, that's two pretty intense films to see in one day. Yeah. I mean, they're both over two hours, well over two hours long. They're both set end of the 19th century in America in the winter, so they're very cold-feeling films. Mm. Um, I saw The Hateful Eight with you. I saw The Revenant with my dad. He just messaged me, said, you want to go see a movie? Want to see this? And I said, yeah. Yeah. It was, that was more spontaneous. But we planned The Hateful Eight for ages. I, I don't, I've never done that. I haven't seen two movies in theatres in the one day. I have. Now, this is good. Not many people have done this. I've been to two football games, AFL football games, in two different states on the same day. That's pretty... Just let that sink in. Yeah, that, that's a lot of effort there. Not many people have done that, I wouldn't think. No. I remember I was in Tasmania watching the Hawthorne You think you'd give one game. of them a miss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was in Tasmania watching the Hawthorne game, and then that was the day game, and then that night I met up with a friend who was at a Collingwood St Kilda game, so I went to that as well. Two games, two states. Same day. One day, yep. Wow. Very yeah. proud. Um, going through this watch Clearly list. I don't have a lot going on in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some movies and footy. Yeah. Um, i got Stand By Me here as well. Oh, yeah, that's a great film. Um, so, Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me. They, they're uh, both Stephen King sort of novellas. They appear different in the... Different seasons. The collection's Different Season, which has... You just gave me the audiobooks for those, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I look forward to listening to those. Yeah. Um, personally, I've just read... I mean, I'm a massive Stephen King fan... Um, I love the, uh, probably my favorite Stephen King would have to be It. Well, that's the only Stephen King that I've read. I haven't actually, I've seen a lot of films based on Stephen King books, so I know about a lot of the stories, but that's the only one I've ever actually read. Right now I'm audiobooking The Shining. Ooh, I'm I love that one. I'm about halfway through it. I'm about, oh, sorry if this is a spoiler, but geez, it's an old book and an old film, but, um... I'm just up to the part where Jack has um, uh, he has an illusion where he's having a drink with Lloyd, the bartender. Oh yeah, yeah, that's just literally happened. So he's he's and and prior to that, he um he thought he heard his father screaming at him over the radio to to kill his family. So he destroys yeah. the radio. That was so he's just now starting to, to starting lose to his lose mind. It. Yeah, yeah, I loved the book of The Shining. Actually, that that's I find. More often than not, particularly with the earlier kings, I just, I really enjoy them. Yeah. Um, I read recently, in the last couple of weeks, I read Duma Key, which is 2008. It's more, it's horror, but more of a fantasy horror. And like, it's a good story and it was a good read, but it didn't resonate with me quite like Pet Cemetery, which I read the week prior. Yeah. So a few weeks ago now, that was really, I, I think Stephen King says of that one, it's the one that genuinely scares him the most when was the so you're going to see the film when it comes out oh yeah that was it was in preparation for the film i think that comes out on the 4th of april so that's only a couple of weeks away yeah i'll uh definitely same day try and... same day as shazam i think Ooh, yeah we have to make a choice <laughs> um early uh screenings of shazam have been mostly positive from what i understand so most of the people that have seen those have, have said that it's pretty good so that's good yeah, but Pet Cemetery. Um, yeah, I, I don't have much time to read the book before seeing the film now, so I probably won't bother. Also, I find sometimes that reading the book, particularly right before you see the film, can ruin the film a bit. I, th- I feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot more had I not read the book just before having seen it. That being said, 
I feel like having... I mean, I'd seen the, the 1990s TV miniseries version. Yeah. So I, but that, I'd seen it quite a while before... Uh, years before I read the book. And I, I feel like reading the book um, kind of relatively cold on the whole It story was just... I really loved the book. I mean, it, it has a lot of bits It seemed irrelevant not necessarily irrelevant but a, a bit removed from the the pressing story between the, act- the 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 characters of the book the you know the losers club is it the the, the, the interludes and yeah the interludes and that, and the, and that the, i remember that at the start as adults they're all sent these is it letters or invitations to come back to Derry? yeah yeah and um and you know Gosh, that went on for a long time. That was like 300 pages, wasn't it, all up? It was a lot of reading, Just and, and it was just so much exposition. It actually got it got a bit... Um, yeah, I struggled at the start of that book. And even The Shining, I've struggled with a bit of it. Like, it's taken me a long time to get to this point. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. If, I feel like there are some authors where... I mean, sometimes exposition can be a bit sluggish, but I find particularly with Stephen King that I just enjoy his writing style so much that I can just kind of just get through it. I enjoy going to pick up the book if I'm on the train or just at home, you know. there Like, I'll stop watching Netflix series or whatever if I'm engrossed in a good book, and I find Stephen King does that more often than not. Yeah, I like his stories, but I'm... Just, I don't know. Like, I, I do like his... I, I'd say, yeah, I like his stories, but I don't always like his writing style. Like, even with It, I really enjoyed that book on the whole, but there were a lot of times where I was sort of um, hoping to get to the end of a chapter or, like, geez, I hope this picks up. There were quite a few moments with that book where I, I sort of felt that way. So, uh, that's not always good. So, I, I've read other books that I've probably enjoyed more along the way but uh, I think as a whole like I really loved that I really loved it mm. so that I mean that's why I'm going mm. through The Shining at the moment but The Shining same, similar sort of experience like there's enough there to keep me going but geez there's a lot of boring slow bits where I, I feel like I could have almost skipped this or you know it's just not going at a very good pace it just mm. feels like it's not going anywhere that's happened a few times with, yeah. with King I, f- I feel like a lot of people have that view particularly with it which is why I think they cut so much of the interludes and uh that sort of thing from the the movie i think both both adaptations um cut a lot of that i mean you had to what i think i mean i personally was quite interested in all the little interludes the historical bits um what i would have liked is sort of more of a, a longer miniseries sort of game of thrones style where you know one episode is one interlude and then have it cut between uh the uh, the way the books do the between the children's experience kind of happening as a as a way of the adults remembering things so it cuts between maybe that could be halfway through an episode maybe that could be one whole episode leads into them reminiscing about them being kids which is the way the book's structured um basically the the present day is the 28 years later which i i mean that doesn't really make sense but the present day is them as adults and then the events of the children is as they remember it and that's interspersed with um adult mike hanlon's research on the history of dairy and the violence that occurs throughout and 
the events that start, that spark the whole uh, cycle that happens every 28 years. And I would like to see that translated more uh, structurally intact as a miniseries rather than culled down to a movie. Yeah, two part of movie because I think both adaptations have the same structure where the first movie is the kids' experience, the second movie is the adults' experience. So, what did you think of the miniseries, the the old one with Stephen Curry? Um, because I actually think it's aged horribly. Yes. Yeah, we watched that kind of recently, and oh, it was a couple over a year, eighteen months ago. Oh well, I mean, whatever you definition of recent is i guess that's yeah. not that recent but yeah we watched it i think before or after watching the new film I can't after really after it was, yeah it was a bit after um geez that and people are so scared of that film as well like they they have really horrible um mm. memories of, of just being terrified by by um is it stephen curry steve, steve tim curry tim curry tim curry. tim curry by tim curry's he actually does a really good job it's not yeah him, he was he that was has really good, God, it's so cheap uh, there are so many parts where it feels like one of those goosebumps episodes but a bad one that's not funny and not charming yeah it's actually yeah some of it's actually really bad i found the second half was much worse than the first oh, as well it was so much slower i mean i feel like stephen king spends most of the time with the kids the kids yeah. is the more interesting It is part. more interesting, yeah. And for that reason, I'm a bit, a- not apprehensive, but I, I feel like with the, the upcoming Andy uh, Muschietti installment, that I, f- I feel like we've seen the best. Did he direct the first one? I'm pretty sure he did. I, I don't know, I'm just asking. Um, yeah, so, I'm pretty sure. Oh, don't don't I'll, make, I'll look it up. You look it up? Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like, I, in the book, I enjoyed the kids part the most in the mini series i definitely enjoyed the first installment yeah. yeah the most and yeah so i'm i mean I, i've seen the cast list for the the adult version of the kids i thought the kids in the the first part was really well cast uh is it finn wolf castle um are you talking about the kids the kid uh, he plays richie tozier he's from stranger things uh, that that kid's phenomenal. He's I think he's got a, a good career ahead of him. I don't think he'll be one of those typical child actors that kind of burns themselves out. I think he's going to be someone we'll we'll be hearing about for a very long time. Um, and they've got uh, who's who's playing the adult Richie? He's the he's the SNL. Uh, Bill 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 Hader. Hader. Bill, yeah, Hader. Bill Hader. Yeah. So I think I think he is a. A perfect casting for adult Richie. Um, James McAvoy's in it as well. Yeah, is he playing Bill? Den- Bill Denbro, yeah. Yeah. Good lord. Uh, the, just harkening back to the uh, the miniseries. How about that ponytail on Bill oh Denbro? Oh god, that was awful. <laughs> Especially at the end when he's riding down on the hill on the bike. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that, was that was shocking. Bad ponytail. Yeah. Wasn't there like a really ridiculous scene in a restaurant as well? Oh, when they're eating, they're having yeah. They're just about to open the the fortune cookies, and then there's like eyes and bugs and horrible stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't come across very well on film. Yeah, that's dated a bit. Yeah, that whole thing's dated a bit. But yeah, I, you know, my dad watched that kind of recently, and he couldn't make it very much past the the opening scene with it in the in the drain. The like, uh, Pennywise in the drain, uh, as in the, the the miniseries. Yeah, in the miniseries. Yeah, right. Um, as he, in, he was too terrified, or he was too bored. Uh, terrified. Really? Yeah. Like they creeped him out. Huh. He was like, oh, and he was describing it to me. He's like, oh, so this kid, 
sees this bloke in the drain. And the bloke's <laughs> like, get here in the drain. Come come down here in the drain. <laughs> and I was like, I just turned it off. I didn't like it. it creeped me out. And he was like, what happened in the end? Did they get that bloke? I'm like, <laughs> 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 but I just, yeah. like, that, oh, I found it weird that he, he, um, he found that so creepy because it's well, so goofy and, and low budget. Oh, look, I that's think that's probably a testament. the best... The best scene in that series, yeah, to be fair, but it's. I still... think that's a testament to Tim Curry's. Uh, he was really good. He was really good as Pennywise. Yeah. Um, God, that scene's much, much more intense in the in the recent film. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit apprehensive at first because you see a like when Pennywise takes the bite out of um, the young Denborough boy. I forget his name. Yeah, I forget his name as well. Um, you see, like it's quite, quite horrible. You like the 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 way the face contorts and it grows all these fangs and that. And I yeah, because I didn't really imagine it that way. I thought no. he just oh no, he, he he does bite his arm off, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he does. His arm off. Yeah, and he the the poor kid bleeds to death. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was a bit worried. It was that whole thing of uh, showing a bit bit too much. I thought it did it well. I I, I love. The the part that was really creepy is after the, after the kid's arm gets ripped off, he's sort of crawling away, yeah. and you see the, the hand come out of the drain. It, it like extends like inhumanly long, and then pulls him through. Yeah, pulls him down. and you, you have that brief shot of the woman kind of seeing what's going on, and then just ignoring it. Yeah, and I mean that plays into the whole uh, Pennywise having control over the adult, the adults in the in the town of Derry. Yeah. There we yeah. go. I didn't expect to talk about it for that long. Oh, I just love Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I love Stephen King. Maybe because I haven't read enough of his stuff. But yeah, I really, I really liked it. And um, you know, The Shining. I'm, I've probably struggled with it a bit up until now, but it is starting to move along a bit. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing, the difference. I think originally Stephen King hated the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining, and there's so. M- many resources online that outline the differences but i feel like and this this goes comes down to a lot of stephen king's writing is that a lot of the horror is internal particularly with the shining a lot of the or the terror rather comes from the internal psychological battle that the already sort of damaged character has and the sto- you know the the sort of trajectory where they redeem themselves and then ultimately they lose to if it's their own inner demons or if it's the Overlook Hotel. I mean, I I think that's a bit ambiguous in the book. In the movie, uh, Jack Nicholson as an actor kind of is on edge from the get go, and then yeah, it's it's more of an external horror film, and I think it in some ways it kind of undermines Stephen King's work, but in a lot of ways as a testament to Stanley Kubrick's genius is it just, it's a better translation for, for screen. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, film books are, can have to be scarier in different ways than, uh, than uh, films are. And so I think you can't really hold that against the, you know, if the movie well, Kubrick had like a long history of, 
of really annoying the authors of the film of the books that he based his films on. Like I know the wasn't the author of uh, Clockwork Orange was quite annoyed with how Kubrick took his or interpreted his book. Who was what was the what was the name of the author? Was it Anthony Burgess? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I think Anthony Burgess was always quite frustrated that that was the book he was most famous for, but it was actually what he considered to be one of his worst novels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've read the novel. I read it about five or six years ago. I, and I, I couldn't read it. Um, I actually quite enjoyed so it. Mu- there's so much lingo in that film, um, uh, uh, in that book. I just, I found it really frustrating to read and I just put it down. I can understand, I can understand that, but I liked the, uh, I liked kind of picking it up as you went. I've actually thought, uh, personally, and I mean, I'm not alone because it's, it's widely praised for this reason, but I kind of liked the way it injected it in a way that you understood it from context and the greater context that it sort of lent to the story. I mean, from the, a lot of sort of Russian-sounding words, given the the context in which it was written and the fact that it seems to be some dystopian future where you don't actually know the circumstances of the dystopia, but I think that really injects some sort of that uh, Cold War tension uh, from the time it was written, some kind of uh, some kind of conflicts of the Cold War boiled down, and now Western society had a lot of uh, uh, sort of uh, Soviet or was, uh, Russian um, words. For example, I think people often interpret the uh, their term for good which is horror show um which my my initial interpretation was that it's like it's horror show it's terrific you know it's scary terrific horror show it's good yeah the russian word for good is show, or something i probably butchered the pronunciation but it's so it could be a kind of combination of both of those i mean all the other words like uh malenki chelovek i uh, remember is a, a phrase they th- they throw around a lot and um, I mean, some of the other word, uh, terms they use, like uh, "bog" and all these holy saints and angels, or something. "Bog" rather than "god" seems to be much more of a Western. You've totally lost me here. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. Oh, I'm just talking about <laughs> <laughs> the um, the lingo that Anthony Burgess uses or creates the language. I can't remember the the term for the language, sort of, but the way that it seems to be some kind of hybrid between. You know the languages from the sort of Russian Ukraine, okay, region, and and how it implies some sort of boiling point in the Cold War for that to be a dystopian future. Because I think it's it's a sort of nineteen eighty four scenario. It's set in the future, which is now very much the past. Yeah, you're right. I like the I like the I think those costumes of the I don't know what are they, what do they call themselves the gang. Do they have a gang oh, name? I, I can't remember because I, I I couldn't get through the movie. Really? Watching it, and you really I just, don't like Kubrick, do you? I feel, look. Last time I really tried to watch him, I think I was quite a bit younger. I don't think I really appreciated it. I mean, originally, I mean, going back on what I just said, initially having read The Shining, I greatly disliked the movie. I've recently, I haven't watched it in a while, but having reread the book. 
and thought about the movie and read some of some uh, other people's opinions on it i i, do, I it plays into what uh, what i had just said where i mean you can't really hold the filmmakers accountable for their interpretation of the the book because i mean it's a different medium and horror is experienced and in fact all of the stories ex- regardless of the genre is experienced in different ways and so um, they're obviously their own artistic and creative licenses, but also logistical decisions they have to make, and often they they play into each other. Like I I think Stanley Kubrick's The Shining did. So I th- I think I owe Stanley Kubrick another revisit. I mean I remember liking the first half of Full Metal Jacket. I never read the book on which it's based, I f- and then the second half kind of lost me a bit. I feel like I could give that another go and come to yeah, different conclusions. I, I, I haven't seen any of his films. In, oh, I saw The Shining a couple of years ago, actually, and I, I really enjoyed that. So I, I think I've got to give a lot of his films a, a go again. Maybe not 2001. That I don't think I could sit through that now. But yeah, uh, Clockwork Orange, I used, to, I used to say, this was back when I was like 17 and I was a bit of a snob. I used to say that was my favourite film. And uh, and I used I to say that, that yeah, and I used to say that two thousand and one was brilliant. And actually, I I found it really hard to sit through. I think I just wanted to think that I I love those sorts of films. But I think we all go through a phase like that. Uh, so I haven't seen them really since that time when I was about seventeen, eighteen. So you know that was over ten years ago now. So I, I probably should go back and watch some of them. Mm. Eyes Wide Shut. I I, sh- I really like that one. That's considered one of his worst films. And uh, I it's, remember it's liking it. It's a later that. one, isn't it? Nicole Kidman. It's, a, it's his last one. Last he, film. I think, I'm pretty sure he died before it was actually released. Right. Yeah, it was one of his only films that wasn't received very well, but he never knew that. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's based on a book, I'm fairly sure. Mm. wouldn't mind reading the book. I, I, I actually really enjoyed that film. I, I've seen the first bit. I just remember it's got Nicole Kidman on the toilet. <laughs> I don't remember that. Why do you remember that of all things? I think that's pretty much all I got up to. Was that early? You know? Yeah, it's very early. Like okay. they're about to go to some party, and so they're getting dressed, and you know Tom Cruise is putting on his tie, and Nicole Kidman's having a wee. I remember the the theme of the film, as in the audio theme of the film, was really drummed into your head by the end of the film. Like it, it they really overused it. It was like ding 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 like the whole film. I'd say like ninety percent of the film that theme is playing, and it would play to the beat of um, what was going on or the tension that was happening in the film. So if he was walking down the street, like you know, approaching a car, and it was like. Dun, 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 dun. And he'd stop and he'd start walking in. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know if it was that bad, but but that, that oh, it's still, still in my head. I remember that theme. So, yeah, I got pretty sick of that. But no, look, I, I remember liking that film. I should watch it again. And I, I, th- I think I should give Stanley Kubrick another go. Yeah, well, I've got the box set, so I bought that ages ago. So I should, I should give that another go. Hmm. Anyway, Paul, uh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up? I had one other thing on here. Yeah? Yeah, okay. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, why not? Okay, so you recently got a Nintendo Switch? Uh, today, in fact. Yep. I've had it for uh, 
about twice as long as I think we've been talking here tonight. So <laughs> Yeah, so how long have we been going for? Hour and nineteen minutes. Um yeah, I bought my Switch. I got it for my birthday last year, so last October. So I've had it for a little while now. Six months or so. Yeah, about six months. Um, yeah, I, I when I, was, I spoke about it with Damien a couple episodes ago, um, I think it's the best Nintendo console since the 64. And that, well, I mean, it's saying a lot because there have been a lot of Nintendo consoles since then, but it it's also um, probably says a bit about... Uh, how underwhelming Nintendo's recent history has been. So I think the GameCube had a few good games on it, but I think overall it was a um, a bit of a fizzer. And then uh, the Wii and the Wii U, particularly the Wii U, I think were pretty disappointing. So um, I think that's coming from a very nostalgic point of view because what the Nintendo 64 and that generation of uh, video games sort of... Uh, heralded was the coming of the 3d age and so i think that was definitely a i mean the the step up between the nintendo 64 and the super nintendo was much greater than that of probably the super nintendo and the nes and not and and also greater than the step up between the 64 and the the gamecube so um i'd say it's i i mean i didn't really like the wii um i i didn't like the whole motion control yeah, that got a bit gimmicky really fast. early. And unfortunately, was- yeah, the Wii was married to that idea, whereas the, I think the, the PlayStation iToy and the Xbox Connect kind of could, you know, disassociate themselves with that. You bought that if that's what you wanted to do. Otherwise, you had the con- controllers. Yeah, also, it was just so far behind those other consoles at the time, uh, the Wii I'm talking about. Um, it, wasn't, it didn't even run in HD. Um, and... Yeah, I, I thought the games library for it was pretty weak. It's, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. And the Wii U was just, uh, again, like it, uh, it finally got HD, but it, it just kind of came and went. And the games library for that was shocking. Just ported over to the Switch. Well, now they're porting over all those games over to the Switch. The Switch is great, though. Like, I'm, I'm loving yeah, the, I, the way that it, it looks cool. I like the way that it, you can turn it into a handheld console whenever you want. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got a really good library that's growing all the time. So, yeah, I really yeah. like Nintendo at the moment. I think what you were saying with the, uh, the Wii is that what, what has really happened, especially in recent years, is that the... Um, I think Nintendo have really kind of found their brand, found their niche. I mean, the the Nintendo seal of quality, I think, is a very highly sought-after um, sort of award for a lot of game developers. And so you pretty much know that any other Nintendo-published game or game that bears that seal is going to be good, you know. Nintendo is synonymous with polished games. Um, you know, they've they've got their brand and their sort of cast of characters so I don't feel like there's been I mean apart from maybe the Mario Party series all their sort of more adventure games like uh, Mario 64 Mario Sunshine and, and now Odyssey have always have all been met with high acclaim um, their platformers uh, have always been I mean if you want want to play the platformers they're to a really high standard they're always done to a really high standard I think you know Mario Kart, Smash Bros. They're always they've always been crowd pleasers. They always take the time to give it that little extra polish. I think the only 
sort of series they went a little bit by the wayside was the uh, Mario Party. Yeah, that series, I, to be honest, I can't really say too much about it because I haven't been playing them, but I got the first Mario Party when it came out and I really enjoyed it and I think the th- second and third are supposed to be pretty good too. Yeah, but I then, loved the se- The second was like an expansion of the first. Yeah, I never actually played it. I just it's, not, it it's was, very rare in Australia actually. I think. Yeah, it goes for a lot of money, doesn't it? Yeah, Even like... At least a hundred. Yeah. So, um, but then I, I heard that series got really bad, and I think in particular the the ninth and tenth installments were yeah. really bad. That's when they introduced that party bus. Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. the eighth on Wii, and that was really, oh, that is such that a lazy was game. Very difficult. God, the to mini play. games made me sad. Yeah, the mini games. I mean. The thing is, I liked the fact that the mini games incorporated the use of the Wiimote um, in a similar way to Super Mario Party does with the Joy-Cons. But it was just, it was so convoluted, but like it's so hard to actually get to a mini game. And there was no real way, like in the first one, where you could buy the mini games and just play them, or in Super Mario uh, Party, where you can just, just play them. Yeah. yeah. Super Mario Party is definitely not a perfect game, but it's easily a return to form for Mario Party. Like, I think all of the mini games are fun. I don't think there's any really bad ones, not that I can think of anyway. Mm. And we, we never actually played all of them. There are 80 in total. I've still got a few that I haven't gotten around to. So, you know, 80 might not sound like heaps, but, yeah, it takes a while to get around to all of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I know I, I really enjoyed that. I don't know if I'll get the next one. I feel like I don't need to get every Mario Party. Maybe just one. Yeah. Maybe just every... I don't know. Whenever I feel like I'd, I I need a new one, or if there's been enough, se- like if they brought out another one next year, I wouldn't bother. But um, you know, maybe maybe in in four or five years when they've had enough time to actually think of legitimate improvements, then uh, then I might get another one. But yeah, I, I I was quite happy with that purchase. I really liked Mario Party. We had a lot of fun with that. We'll probably yeah. will play it again at some stage. Yeah, I mean that was it was playing that that I think made me want to get a Switch because. I mean, I've known about the Switch, as I think, as long as anyone has. Yeah. But I never actually played one or really looked at one or seen one until uh, until you brought out the... Um, until you got Switch and Mario Party and, and that kind of opened my eyes. Because, I mean, I do love the Nintendo properties. I'm very much a casual gamer. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a bit of a decision for me to... I mean, I my brother and I invested and, and went halves and we had a few vouchers and that so we ended up paying paying about a hundred dollars each and we got we've got smash bros the pro controller and we got the, the gray console the gray one okay i was so, gonna ask about that yeah we decided to get the gray one because they were the only joy con colors that neither you or damien had so there yep. made no confusion and our pro controller we got a bundle smash bros bundle came with a special edition smash bros and Smash Bros themed Joy-Con uh, uh, Pro Controller so that's also different to the ones you guys have it was $10 cheaper than the game and the the controller in itself so did um so what other games are you looking forward to playing on that I really want to play Link's Awakening okay no uh, Breath yeah, of the Wild Breath, Breath of the, of the Wild. Wild yeah I mean, another I would like Zelda to play game some. coming out as well yeah um I forgot what it's called it's a remake of a um NES one oh, that, is that not Link's Awakening it that might, is that, that might is be a, Link's Awakening. Yeah. yeah. Um, I recently played uh, the remaster of Ocarina of Time on the, th- the 3DS, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I do have Ocarina of Time on the N64 and Majora's Mask, but I don't have a CRT TV on which to play it. Playing Nintendo 64 on a flat screen is virtually impossible. Yeah, it's, it's awful now. It's yeah. really... that. I mean, if you don't have the right equipment, it's really dated. It's better off now to get an emulator or something. There's one called... I don't know if it plays 64 games, but I've got a 64 emulator on, on this computer, actually. Mm. I, I, I never really played it. Um, but, but yeah, they're not that... And they're all in HD, those games. So um, they look a lot better. You can play them on a bigger screen. The, um, the, there's a Dolphin emulator. Have you heard of that? Is that some kind of Sega? No, it's a Nintendo one. It's for GameCube and Wii games. Oh, that's right. That's because uh, in development, the GameCube was going to be the nin- was called the Nintendo Dolphin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Until they came up, uh, until they released the actual to- name of the console. Yeah, so the Dolphin emulator. I haven't got it, but I think you need a reasonably good computer to, to run it. So, um, I don't know, I might get that at some stage. Speaking of uh, retro games, yeah. what is your... Do you know anything about the... Uh, I know on the, the Wii U they had... What was the... You could you could play old uh, oh, the, SNES the, games. You had the Donkey Kong Country trilogy. Yeah, yeah. The Wii U. The online store. The virtual console. Yeah. Uh, There's... Yeah, that's gone. That's, they're not doing that. No, done. They replaced it with that um, the NES library of games that's on there at the moment. Um, right. That's what we've got now. They keep releasing another three NES games every month. Um, I think at one stage, people are hoping that they at some stage get the uh, some SNES games or maybe even some 64 games, but who knows if that's ever going to happen um, and, and if it does when, when it's going to happen. So... A lot of people aren't particularly happy with that. They prefer the way it used to be. Mm. Especially because now you have to pay for the on- Nintendo Online. Mm. Are you, you going to get an online subscription? I think so. I, I mean, it's pretty reasonable. I think uh, $50 a year. I think it's, I thought it was like $30 a year. Oh, well, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, something. Oh, yeah, maybe something like that. It's um, not that much, certainly compared to... I think Xbox is about 120 or something. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's way better, so it's probably worth paying for if, yeah. if you play a lot of online games. But, um, yeah, perhaps they'll have some kind of... Uh, they'll release them in some capacity. I don't think they'll... It's funny because it's funny they charge you for it now, but it really isn't any better than it was before they charged you. I feel like they might have plans for it, though. Maybe some kind of game streaming service or... Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. It'd be nice to know about them as things that are definitely coming rather than we hope one day they yeah. get better and it justifies paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, well, they got rid of the e-store and made us pay for it. So it's like, now you have to pay for online and it's worse. <laughs> and that's pretty much what they did. So but we all did it. So what do you mean by e-store? Because I know a lot of people are having are using the Switch as a sort of uh, cartridge-less console. They have all their games well, digitally. Well, okay. Yeah, you can still buy like new games on it, but I meant um, like buying the old NES and S- Super NES games, like Donkey Kong Country and those sorts of games. You can't buy them on, on the e-store. Like you can't buy them onto, download them onto your console anymore. They're just not available. That's all gone. Right. Yeah. So you can only really play the the Super NES, uh, sorry, the the NES games that are there, and you get those fr- well free if you pay for the online service, um, which is what I'm doing at the moment. But 
you know, if you're even interested in those games, and to be honest, I'm not really interested in any of them. I think you like them more than I do. You like Dr. Mario and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that. my mum's at home playing that now. I think she's had she's clocked up more hours on the Switch than I have. Yeah, uh, it's funny, those sorts of games. Those mum, puzzly Mum's ones. loved that. She's, she played that back my when mum was on the Super Nintendo. My mum loved Tetris and, and, and Dr. Mario. They're good. No, they're good games. I love the music and the... The music's great and Dr. Mario... Tetris music's good too, um, but Dr. Mario music's awesome. I love the chill music. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I often go the chill, but sometimes you need to ramp it up and go fever. <laughs> yeah, they're both good. You don't really yeah. get sick of them. I maintain, though, I don't feel like Dr. Mario should be his own character on Smash Bros. Um... I, I well, I, I remember when Malay came out, they were. I remember Sakurai said uh, something to the effect of, like, we're going to, we'll add some new characters, but we don't have enough time to really flesh them out. So a lot of them are just going to be basically clones. And I think everyone was more or less okay with that. We just wanted to see more characters. And that's what happened. And that's what Ganondorf is just a clone of Captain Falcon. Well, originally, I think they've updated him now. They have changed him a bit. But he's still got a similar move set, um, and you know, Pichu's just a clone of Pikachu, and yeah, Doctor Mario's a clone of of Mario. Pretty unnecessary character, I, I agree. But you know, I'd rather have him than just not have him. I th- I feel I mean I'm a bit of a uh, defender of Waluigi. Yeah, I like. Waluigi. I would have liked. I think I feel like Waluigi could have been. Well, there's still Dad. four more characters that. Um, are yet to be announced. Mm-hmm. We've got Joker from Persona 5. I'm not really familiar with those games, but he's a, he was previously a PlayStation exclusive character. So, um, I mean, his series Persona was a, a PlayStation-only series. So he's in it. Um, so there's four more. So one of them could be Waluigi, but I don't think it will be. I think it's kind of... Uh, as much as I would like to see Waluigi in there, I do think it's kind of a funny ongoing joke that he's not. And yeah. I kind of like to would I would kind of like to see that go. I mean, he maintains the only, uh, you know, regular member of the Super Mario cast that has never had his own game. Although I think there is a Game Boy Tennis game where he was on it, but Wario wasn't. Wow, is that the Game Boy Advance one? I think so. That one is supposed to be like insanely detailed, and it barely has Mario in it. Like, you play yourself, like, you create your own little avatar character, like, kind of the way you do in Pokemon, and you move up through this tennis academy, and the last bosses you play against Mario. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. And apparently there's some... There's there's a tie... It might be Game Boy Color or something, because there's... If you use the um, Game Boy Expansion Pack with... Um, you can share your stats between that game and Mario Tennis on the Nintendo 64. Um, I found out recently. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Was that the... There was a GameCube Mario Tennis that was supposed to be really good. Like, that had all these different features in it. And it made... Because the most recent Mario Tennis was... Look, the gameplay was actually really fun. And we we played multiplayer a few times. And it's quite addictive and, and it's really good. But it is a bit of a lazy game in a lot of ways. Like, first of all... I mean, they've updated this now, but... Initially, you couldn't even choose what court you wanted to play on. You had to go into uh, random, like select random courts, and then turn off the ones you didn't want to pick. And that was the only way you'd have any any control over which court it actually selected. The adventure mode is the adventure mode's very very short, and it doesn't like it has a cutscene at the at the start that makes it feel as if there's going to be a lot more of that, but there isn't. That's literally the only cutscene. 
and um, and the rest of the time it's just got Mario down the bottom with little little text next to him. So it was actually um, yeah, and there were all these upgrades you could get along the way. Like you could upgrade skill points, but I don't know. It didn't seem like they did anything. So that that game uh, had a lot of problems, like a, a lot of um, really like classic Nintendo what the hell are you thinking kind of problems. Right. Yeah. Like, um, for example, this is a really good example, actually. With the Super Mario Party, I really like that game. Like, I, I think they've done a great job, and I like all the, the, the mini games. But online, it's just atrocious. The only mode online is to play with um, three other players in um, a little mini game tournament. But for whatever reason, only 10 mini games are playable online of 80 only 10 online wow yeah it's just like i can't think of any good reason for that i don't know like it's just bizarre it's just like what are you thinking it's um yeah it's one of those frustrating things with nintendo that um you just never get a good answer for but oh well that's the way it is Mm. Mm. yeah all right, well, is there anything else? <laughs> I think that's about it. We've exhausted it. We've yeah, I mean, we've been chatting for... Uh, uh, one hour and 36 minutes is what I've got here. So wow. that, that's how, that's the longest show we've had so far. So yeah, I mean, I'm a bit late to the party, so I feel like I've had a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll do this again. Um, yeah, Damien will probably be subbed back in next episode, but uh, we'll have to have you again, Paul. I oh, know, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. I say we, like there's more than one person running the show. I'll have to have you back. Again, we can oh, talk more good. about your watch list. You can prepare a watch list. I'll prepare a watch time. list, and we'll uh, I'll let you know how my uh, switch plane's going. And there's always something to talk about. Yeah, we'll find yeah. something. Okay, cool. Well, if you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to find the movie Labber on Twitter, if you send us a message, I'll respond. Although I don't tweet much lately um, and we're also on Radio Carom so uh, you might be listening to us on Radio Carom if not yeah you can find us on RadioCarom.com alright thanks for listening thank you